Uh, no, Coolio is going to introduce the podcast instead. Okay. So, Coolio, you want to take it <laughs> yeah, away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to whip out my A-plus Coolio impression right yeah, now. Yeah, this is uncontroversial. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Should I start it now? Okay. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hi, everybody, and welcome all you, all you parsnip farmers, back to butter no parsnips. I'm Emily. I'm also Emily. Yeah, Kyle is Emily this week. <laughs> Kyle is Emily this week, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing that Kyle is this week is our guide through a word that he's been looking into that I know yeah. nothing about. But he's... Play jungle noises. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he's going to guide us through to, the to safari. The through the safari mm-hmm. of what word, Kyle? The word today, Emily, for you uh-huh. is logomachy. Logomachy. Spell that for logomachy. sure. It's, it is spelled L-O-G-O-M-A-C-H-Y. And I'm so glad that you don't know it. <laughs> Never in my life. But I mean, my immediate thought is based on the, the prefix logo, the definition has got to be related to words. Right or logic or something? I forget what logo I will is. say that y- yes, it is either related to words or logic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was. I don't know if I want to give it all away immediately. That's fair. I my immediate thought was words, but then I thought of logarithm or like logarithmic, hmm. and I forget what it means. But it's a math thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't use words in math. <laughs> That's Just fair. numbers. You should hear a mathemagician talk. <laughs> a mathemagician. <laughs> yeah, a mathemagician. You know, a numbers wizard. A numbers wizard. That's right. Yeah. Logomachy. Logomachy. Okay. So, definitely a noun. It is, yes. Definitely a noun. Yeah. Originating in Latin or Greek or something? Both, yeah. At Great. some point. And, oh, boy... You you definitely hit on it with the with the prefix. I'll give you that it is the prefix logos, meaning word. Okay, but the the suffix is really what is the determiner of what the word yeah, means. Yeah, and I'm trying yeah. to think what the oh boy. I I can give you an esoteric hint to begin with. I would love an esoteric hint. So the hint that I wrote is that our podcast may result in. Or uncover many of these, many logomachies. Logomachies. So are they like interesting word things or weird word facts? Or like or like quirks of language? No. I no. I would say that logomachies result in were you know, weird word quirks later on, historically, but that is not what the word means itself. Okay. No. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think I got to give up. You got to give up already. So, yeah, I mean, you you got half of it. I'll give you All half right. per, half the points. How's that? Half points? You get 50%, yeah, half <laughs> points. All right. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> logomachy 
means a dispute over or about words. Interesting. It also can mean, and has meant more so recently, a controversy marked by verbiage or reckless or incorrect use of words. It can be used in the sense of a meaningless battle of words is a logomachy. Interesting. So, I mean, tell me about the the origins of this word. Because my immediate thought is like, how often does this come up? (laughs) Yes. I mean, not a terrible lot. Not a terrible lot, but I found a lot of instances of it, actually. So it comes from Latin, a Latin word logomachia, and That comes from the ancient Greek, which is the same word, logomachia. And it comes from logos, meaning word or speech. And the suffix there is from the ancient Greek make, which means battle or contest. So it's Uh literally battle of words or battle of, you know, a speech battle, speech contest. And I found a, I guess, a dictionary, an etymology dictionary from like a a couple hundred years ago. And they bring up this word in the sense that over time, there's been no agreement as to where the emphasis, like which syllable the emphasis should be on. So like nowadays, like the most common accepted emphasis is on the the G. So it's logomachy. Logomachy. But for a while... Logomachy was fine. Yeah, that was why I had to ask you the pronunciation again, because when I was looking at it, I was going to say logomachy, and I was like, that sounds weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But but, but the current, like, accepted pronunciation is logomachy because of, like, biology, like those kind of Greek words where the emphasis is on the second syllable. Right. But there's also been instances where, like, recorded instances where (laughs) speakers will call it logomachy. Or logomachy. <laughs> okay. Why I don't know. But so th- so you can put this emphasis on any of these syllables, so and that would be fine. Would that in itself be considered a logomachy? I, I, I yes, absolutely, and that's why this word. I mean, that is just the tip of the iceberg it's of why this word is interesting. It, it is a self-defining word. Yes, amazing. <laughs> so Emily, to to really get started here, yeah. What do you know about the Hermetic tradition? Oh, my gosh. I mean, too much to delve into. So yeah. why don't you? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go for it. Yeah, so, you, you start us off and I'll pick yeah, up from what yeah. my expertise is. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start off here by saying that I know literally just surface level about all of this. Because okay. there is so much to know here. Sure. So this is like a disclaimer. Like, if I get anything wrong, this is just what I've <laughs> taken away from the, you know, a week or two of research that I've been doing on yeah. on this subject. Don't sue um, us. We are fools who like yeah. words. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so Hermeticism back during the Renaissance, it was, they call it Renaissance Hermeticism, covered a broad range of early modern alchemical philosophies that stem back to purported teachings of a legendary person named Hermes Trismegistus. 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 His first name's Hermes. That's the important part. That's where we get the Hermeticism from. Hermes Triceratops. Yeah, Triceratops. So to understand the origins of Logomachy, we have to go back to a famous Hermeticist, a man named Heinrich... Cornelius Agrippa von Nettesheim. Oh, I, <laughs> that is. Uh, was he yeah. German? 
Yes, he was. Correct. I'll give you 20 bonus points for that. Amazing. I'm out of 70 percent. Pulled off a C minus, mom. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Agrippa lived from the year 1486 through the year 1535. Okay. We are way back. It's way back, way back. And the word logomachy in English originates with him. So he was a German theologian, legal scholar, occultist, and all-around philosopher. He pretty much did a little bit of everything. Okay. But the extent of his body of work is muddled because he had this strange writing style (laughs) that involved hiding his intentions behind material that he borrowed from other writers. And then he would change it in a way to give the original material a political context where there originally was no context. In doing so, he would create these inconsistent juxtapositions that made his own thoughts seem paradoxical. Let me see if I understand this. He he plagiarized other writing Mm -hmm. to manufacture a political debate or or his political agenda? Yeah, and not political in like a like governmental sense, but political like um like policy his belief sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's really interesting and really difficult to understand. Like just logically <laughs> to understand that and then to read through some of his stuff and understand that there is a context here that you would only know if you read the original material that he is quoting. Right, and, <laughs> and saw what and he know- changed. Exactly, exactly. The technique that he used, he called, I don't know if he called it, it's been called dispersa intentio, or scattered meaning. Okay. And it was a technique that a lot of Renaissance philosophers used, maybe not so much to the extent that he did, but they used it in order to keep their intentions hidden from people who would get them in trouble for it. Interesting. So... Yeah, isn't that really interesting? So his hallmark work is a work called De Occulta Philosophia, which we'll talk about slightly later. But he explains a little bit of his writing style in it. So here's an explanation that he gives. All right. Um, And just a reminder, he wrote everything in Latin. Okay. So all of these are English translations of what he wrote. Okay, that makes sense. So he writes... These are the elements that I have gathered, with a variety of compilations from ancient works, as an introduction to magic with concise expression, but sufficient for those who are meant to understand. Some of the notions are expounded in an orderly manner, others disorderly, others are fragmentary, yet others are hidden and entrusted to the research of those who are capable of comprehension. Thus you... Children of doctrine and knowledge, search the book with zeal and piece my dispersed intention together, since I have spread it in many different parts. What in one place is concealed, in another is manifest, so that it may be revealed to you who are wise. So he wrote like like a coded journal as yes. like a puzzle for his fans. Yes, <laughs> but... but Everything he wrote was like that. Crazy. This is like an episode of Criminal Minds. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. He's like leaving a breadcrumb trail to his yes. murders. Who knows? This guy did so much, he probably did murder people. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I mean, and he wrote like these huge manifestos, hundreds of pages long, and it was all completely coded. And not something that you wouldn't even know, like, at first glance, you would be like, oh, there's no code here, you know? Right. 
But it was, somehow. That passage itself that I just read to you, <laughs> he wrote by taking passages from a previous alchemical work and putting them together. Like, like found poetry? <laughs> like So basically, he explains how he puts together other works by putting together other works to explain it. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> God, what was it like in this guy's brain? Right? Right? <laughs> well, we're about to find out. Oh, no. So we're going to start at the very tippy top with him. Okay. He, as, as a child, he studied at the University of Cologne, which is probably where he first came into contact with the occult. Uh, and, you know, at, at some point in time, probably shortly after he was in Cologne, he spent some time in Paris, which was possibly as a student. And one of the things that he did there was he formed something called a Sodalicium, um, which oh. is like a sort of secret society. Not um, not a, a delectable dish? A so delicious. No, it's not a so delicious. Mm. <laughs> so delicious. A lovely little aperitif. Aperitif. <laughs> no, no, and it was like a, It was like a for him. His society was like a secret occult society, um, with like some of his pals, his college pals. Yeah, like like all college kids do. Yeah, yeah, like all college. Yeah, yeah, normal. So after that, Agrippa spent the year 1508 in Spain on a mysterious trip oh. that was possibly a military mission as a mercenary. Because it turns out at some point he was captain of the army for what? Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I. That's insane! Yeah, <laughs> This man yeah. was a was a word man. Why was he also a captain in the Holy Roman Empire? I have no idea. I guess it was like, you know, hey, you're fresh out of college. I need to get a job. Sure, you know? sure, sure. <laughs> Might yeah. as well join the it's army. Like, it's like working retail. Might as well yeah. be a captain in the Holy Roman Might Empire. Well. <laughs> I'm just picking some hours, picking up yeah, a yeah, shift yeah. here and you there, know, you is, know. This is just to fuel my passion. You know, this is yeah, the day yeah. job. Well, it seemed to have worked because then in 1509, he was given patronage by Emperor Maximilian's daughter, Margaret of Austria. Oh. And he was also given patronage by a man named Antoine de Vergy, who is the chancellor of the University of Dole in Burgundy. And he was asked to give a series of lectures there. And I guess he was just, like, allowed to talk about whatever he wanted, and, like, that's how <laughs> it worked back then. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Because his first lecture was given in honor of Margaret, and despite his protestations, it's, like, pretty clear that it was, like, to impress her. Uh-huh. Because he said, like, a lot of nice things about her in this speech. And he was he was possibly hot for Margaret. P possibly. Possibly, yes. Possibly. So this allegedly. speech that he allegedly this this speech that he gave, he he later developed it and published it in 1529, and he called it De Nobilitate et Precellentia Fominiae. Wow, my Latin is terrible. Foeminae <laughs> Sexus Declamatio, or the Declamation on the Nobility and Preeminence of the Female Sex. Ooh, I can tell this is going to be good. 
Yeah, it's, I it's, love it's to hear good. men make <laughs> sweeping, generalized discussions oh, of women as a species. God. Emily, you're gonna love this. Can't Emily, wait. Gonna lay love it this. on me. <laughs> so it's more commonly referred to in English nowadays as the glory of women. Just simply the glory of women. Oh, well, that's nice. It's well. It starts off with like this long introductory paragraph where he's like. Oh, I'm so bashful, but like I had to say this because women are just so great and nobody else says it. (laughs) And he's like, and I'm not like, these are facts. All right. It's just the truth. Like, I'm not like just saying things, but Margaret, you're the best. And like, I'm writing this because of you. Yeah. And you know, I'm a nice guy and nice guys always finish last. So I'm just, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I'm just doing this for you. Exactly. And I expect nothing in return. (laughs) So now, Emily, for your hearing pleasure, I'm going to quote from a lengthy section from this speech in which he describes the female body. I love it. Okay. So we're going to cue the sultry music now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one one Mm -hmm. goes out to all the ladies. Hence, the body of a woman is most delicate to the eye and touch, her flesh most soft and tender, her face surpassing in beauty. Eyes sparkling with a lovely cheerfulness mixed with ten thousand graces. Above them, eyebrows smooth and thin, divided with decent distance, from the middle of which descended her nose, straight and of due proportion, under which her mouth neat, round and lovely, with small, fresh and red lips, within which her teeth appear when she gently smiles, being very small and evenly placed, overcoming ivory with their whiteness, and to whom they are fewer in number than to man, because she is not given so much to eating and consuming. Next, take view of her round and dimpled chin, in a pleasant manner, under which the neck is placed, which is small but something long, fairly erected upon her round shoulders. A delicate throat, white and of an indifferent thickness. Her voice sweet and pleasant, her breast somewhat large and prominent, adorned with two nectar-filled paps, the roundness of which doth suit and agree well with the roundness of her belly, her sides soft, back smooth and erect, arms stretched out, hands small and slender, her flanks and hips more full, the calves of her legs more fleshy, the tips of her hands and feet ending in a round orbicular completeness, and every member full of juice and moisture. I'm I'm swooning. <laughs> I I mean you just on the floor in a puddle, aren't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. <laughs> Where do I find this man? <laughs> Full of juice and moisture. Oh God. And, th- oh. and that is like paraphrasing. Like there is more that he wrote yeah. about the woman's body, and that is just a small part of this declamation on the glory of women. Declamation on the glory of women. Find it yeah. in bookstores near you. <laughs> They are selling out fast, right next to Fifty Shades of Grey on the bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, how does all this tie into to Logo Maki? We're getting there, Emily. Bring, bring us home, Kyle. I can't bring you home. Oh, we're, we're getting there. We're too far from home. We're, t- we're, we're a little like, bit far from home. We're like home. six exits out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So his declamation posed women as equal to and in some ways greater than men. And at the same time, he was advocating for Christians to take up their own version of the Jewish Kabbalah, which was a kind of mystical school of thought because right. he was looking to bring mysticism back into Christianity. Right, right, right. And the the feminism was like this this bent in in the Christian Kabbalah. One of the ideas being like Mary being equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Trinity, which these ideas were horrifying to the people at the time. <laughs> yeah, because they saw him as trying to Judaize Christianity, and so he lost his position in Burgundy. Oh, so he so he could not continue to make favor with Margaret. No, he he, he try in trying to defend Margaret's. Equality, he lost yeah. her. He lost her. He lost her. Wow. A, a true anti-hero. So after this, he had to return to Germany. And mm -hmm. he was a little upset. So he went and studied with this man named Johannes Trithemius, who is the Ooh. abbot of Sponheim. And their discussion of natural magic invigorated him to write this book about the occult, okay. which he called De Occulta Philosophia Libri Trace, the three books of occult philosophy, of which he wrote the first of three versions in 1510 and dedicated them to Trithemius. Okay. We, we're not going to talk about those books because that's a lot and it has not much to do with logomachy. Sure. But it is an important thing that he wrote. So <laughs> I just wanted assured, to mention that. You've piqued my interest and I will read them later. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So after going back to Germany, he then for the next 15 years basically traveled around as a vagabond teaching, uh -huh. lecturing, and getting into trouble with his ideas and then getting into worse trouble when he defended them. I love the idea of a <laughs> vagabond lecturer. Yeah, you know. Seem like two differing <laughs> states of life. <laughs> and that's my speech about women. That'll be $3. <laughs> um, excuse $3 me. $3 so I can buy myself uh, a, a beer and a room at the local tavern. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to pay in for that. <laughs> um, so he was creating this role for himself, like a philosophical role against accepted scholastical tradition while he was doing this. Right. He's a rebel. Yeah, a rebel. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, a yeah. philosopher rebel. Yeah, an academic rebel. Yeah. We yeah. love him. He, we love him. We love him. We gotta love we, the guy. Yeah. He rocked, he rocked up in his leather jacket and was like, I'm here yeah. to give a lecture. With his gang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They rode up on Tell on, me like, more. Harleys. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> So he eventually ended up with the position of syndic, which is like a town official slash orator slash university delegate okay. in in France in a town called Metz. So he used his position to defend women who were accused of witchcraft. And it's known that he saved at least one woman from burning at the stake. No. Oh. At the time, which is like a great thing. What a guy. What a guy, right? He's a real champion of women, is what yeah, I'm seeing. I mean, yeah, this guy is a feminist, although I don't know if you can call it feminism. Because who else would stop a woman from burning at the stake? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to be a feminist. Yeah, no one else would. Yeah, although I don't know if you can call it feminism if you're doing it to hit on women. <laughs> what <laughs> are you maybe, about? Maybe in the 1500s you could. <laughs> so speaking of hitting on women. <laughs> oh, good. I like this segue. In the 1520s, 
there were, he had this disastrous attempt at winning the favor of the French king's widowed sister. Oh, he's aiming high, by the way. Yeah, he, always aiming high. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he he wrote this declamation called "On the Sacrament of Marriage" and dedicated it to her, where he argued the benefits of a second marriage. To mm-hmm. this woman whose husband just died. <laughs> yeah, yep, 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 yep. Where he's basically like, hey. He said, listen, ladies, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta move on. Yeah. I mean, there's a prime look, piece of meat right here. Look to greener pastures. Yeah. <laughs> Comfy with a uh, little old grippy. <laughs> little old grippy. <laughs> old grippy. Old old Heinrich. That's right. So he was stripped of his pension because of this. Yeah. But, but his punishment was that he was forbidden from leaving France. <laughs> I don't understand why. Listen, we've noticed you have an unhealthy obsession with French women, so you're not leaving France. <laughs> we gotta keep our eye on you. <laughs> and the the king's daughter is gonna watch over you, so don't yeah. try nothing. <laughs> so weird. So at this point, he is so done with scholars. He is yeah. like just PO'd that he writes this scathing book. A declamation that he calls De Incertitudine e Vanitate Scientiarium et Artium Atque Excellentia Verbi de Declamatio Invectiva, <gasps> which in English is On the Uncertainty and Vanity of the Arts and Sciences, an Invective Declamation. So this declamation, Emily, yeah. basically tore a new one to all accepted practices oh. of learning. Every single one. Just just shut the whole thing down. Just every every single one. Oh. Um, and in his original Latin text, he used the word logomachia. But it is the English translation of this in 1569 by a man named James Sanford, where we have the first English use of the word logomachy, because that was right. the best the best translation of logomachia at the time. It was probably one of the first translations of that word from Greek to English anyway. Sure. So so this translator just <clears throat> got was was translating Latin and then got to a word that yes. did not exist. <laughs> yes. I was like, okay, I listen. This is what he said. Guess I gotta make it up. <laughs> yeah. This is his thoughts on the theologians at the University of Paris. And so I'd like some fiery, passionate music for this, this reading. Okay. He says, of scholastical divinity, Hereupon scholastical divinity, in the end, by little and little was turned to sophisms, whilst these divine sophisters of latter time and hucksters of God's word, which be not divines, except the title be bought, of so high a science they have made a certain logomachy, that is, an undiscreet altercation, going from school to school, moving questions, forging opinions, and wrong the scriptures with intricate words, giving them a contrary sense. Readier craftly to deceive than plainly to try out the truth, they have also presumed to invent infinite seed plots of brawling, with which they minister matter of contention to the wrangling sophisters, whilst that they draw out the forms, whilst they call the voices generals and specials, whilst some stick to the things, 
some to the names, and that which they take from one they ascribe to another, some take this indifferently, and every one endeavoreth to find something wherewith to confirm his worth. That is, I mean, scathing is the word. Scathing, scathing. And this is like a 300-page novel, and that is one (laughs) sentence from it. (laughs) I love old rants. <laughs> right. Because people just were not afraid to go off. Yeah, really, truly. And this was just a small thing he complained about. This was like religion. He called it scholastical divinity, so religion mm-hmm. in universities. But he right. complained about literally every form of science. Oh like God. and how they wrong they were. So yeah. he uses logomachy here to highlight his belief that modern thinkers and scientists were contorting the meaning of words, in his view, to raise illumination above others, where he believed theology should be an introduction for everybody, not only to the study of intellectual matters, but the study of oneself. That's interesting that he was complaining about people sort of writing to a higher audience when he (laughs) wrote in code. (laughs) Yes, it's the whole thing is legomachy. I mean, just from when I say Agrippa, like he is legomachy. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's crazy. Yeah. So he believed that free reasoning is great, which is, you know, what they were arguing in science at the time. But he defined free reasoning as something that could only be attained by submitting yourself to the divine spark of God within you. To attain higher enlightenment. So free reasoning was not like, oh, I came to this conclusion myself. It was, I allowed God to get me to get this conclusion. (laughs) So he, he believed that these scientists who thought themselves as determiners of their own fate were leading the public astray by using their senses. He saw the human senses as faulty and deceptive, which is hilarious considering the whole description of women that I that he gave. <laughs> right. <laughs> you Very know? sensory description. Yeah. And he and he was upset that he felt these modern scientists were only scratching the surface of understanding and not applying their thoughts to meaningful action. And he thought that this was that they were creating these logomachies by using words incorrectly, by describing things incorrectly. Not getting the full, I guess, inner meaning of them, higher right. meaning of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The divine meaning. Yeah. Really fascinating. Um, yeah. He also, in this book, denounced alchemy, which is crazy because... Because he, he wrote about the occult. <laughs> Emily, not only did he practice alchemy up to writing this, he continued to practice alchemy after this. Oh, so this was just a hypocritical nightmare because he was mad at scholars emily it goes even it goes even deeper than that oh no because some people think that it was coded (laughs) oh no (laughs) and that he was being heavily sarcastic (laughs) we're still in the dream (laughs) yeah saying that he was complaining that the reasoners that he hated so much misunderstood the true use of alchemy which was not like making one thing into another but using it to get spiritually closer to God. And and he he also then later on in his life denounced the occult, but he did it while he was writing the third version of De Occulta Philosophia. And he like updated like facts in it. So who knows what this guy was thinking? Oh my God, what an insane man. Really, a truly insane man. 
so I mean that is that wow. is how Legomachy came into being through wow. the through crazy genius of a our, man named our good friend Agrippa. 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 Yeah. Um Heinrich. Legomachy, for what it's worth, for the next few hundred years was mostly only used in editors' footnotes or in like journals like historical or scientific or religious journals and they usually coupled it were with the word mere like saying something was a mere legomachy to like dismiss something as a as a petty squabble right like um, like semantics yeah there are a few other interesting uses that i just want to briefly touch on with you cuz i sure. think you might find them interesting yeah so in 1711 there was this Swiss theologian called Samuel Verenfels, and he released a document he called A Discourse of Logomachies. And he released this in order to complain about the ambiguity in language that was causing problems between Christians at the time. And there was this thing called the Republic of Letters, which was basically like open forum, long distance communication, where people would just write open letters and then people could respond to these open letters. Okay. And he was like, this is making our lives more difficult because <laughs> nobody can agree on, on terminology. Right. So he proposes a universal lexicon of Christian words and concepts to end yeah. the argument. I mean, that sounds reasonable. I have no idea if that actually gets taken upon. I, I have a feeling it didn't. No, probably not, because I feel like it is not the case today that we have universal terms yeah. for everything yeah. in religion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that that was a book called a disc or a letter called a discourse of Logomachies. similar to Agrippa. Recently, in 1998, oh, an English artist slash occultist named Austin Osman Spare detailed his own occult philosophical thoughts in a book called Logomachy of Zoss. Zoss. Zos, because he had this own magico religious philosophy called Zos Kiacultus. Oh. And where Zos was the human body and mind, and Kia was ultimate power or u the universal mind, and that his inspiration comes from the unconscious part of the mind. I imagine a lot of it's not too um original but you know he puts his own his own flair on things yeah 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 i mean these this is this is feeling very culty yeah 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 a separate from books there was a board game created by the mclaughlin brothers in 1874 <gasps> called logomachy oh it was also called letters or anagrams or word making and word taking word making and word taking yeah yeah, you know, great. Do you know like what the basics of how the game works? Can you give us like a quick rundown? Yeah, so it was created by the McLaughlin brothers who were this popular picture book slash game company in the late 1800s that was then sold off to Milton Bradley in 1920. Oh, okay. And it's basically a mix between Scrabble and Go Fish. So there's letter cards and you're looking to get letter cards from your opponent so that you can create letter words to get points. That you can make points. up a word. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And interesting about Legomachy is that it was such a, it was a very popular board game. It's quoted in a lot, like as a board game, it's quoted a lot in fiction yeah. and literature. I can imagine that catching on. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people had their own house rules for it. So there was a version called Progressive Logomachy that you use four packs of cards and it's to be played by 16 players. Oh. 
Oh my God, that sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, right? With so many people. (laughs) Jesus. And there's a house rules version where players use just words from the Bible, and it's called scripture legomachy. (laughs) And I guess it was used like in like Christian study groups in the early 1900s and stuff like that. Sure. Okay, there's there's one last thing I want to touch about. I know we've been talking a long time. (laughs) Well, it's all fascinating stuff. I'm very excited. (laughs) So... While I was looking up Legomachy, Merriam-Webster on their website describes the suffix make as an uncommon suffix in English words, which, like, at first glance, you'd be like, yeah, like, I can't, like, <laughs> can you think of any other words that end in maki? You know, I, my immediate thought was that I have, but then I couldn't think of any example. Like, I feel like it does sound familiar to have a word ending in maki. Right? But I couldn't think of one. Do you have any? Well, not only do I have any, I proved them wrong, that it is not an uncommon suffix. <laughs> and I found 73 words that use that suffix. Amazing. Read all 73 <laughs> right now without I'm... taking a breath. <laughs> okay, ready? No, give, I mean, us a couple, no just... give us a couple good ones. So if I tell you the word electriomachy, I'm sorry, electriomachy, or electrum. <laughs> Electoromachy, what what would come to mind? Either electricity or elections. It would be elector for rooster in ancient Greek. Oh, that was going to be my third guess. <laughs> so that's cockfighting. Oh my god. <laughs> Electriomachy. Another good one is aoidomachia. This one doesn't have a direct English translation. <laughs> Aoidomachia. The O Aoido, has a little umlaut like over it. One of those a two New dots. Yorker trying to get someone's attention. Aoido, Aoido, get over here, Aoido. <laughs> so, Aoidomachia comes from Aoidos for minstrel or bard or singer, and oh. it means fighting or contending with verses, as in a battle of poets or writers or singers, or a rap battle, or a rap battle. Is an aoidomachia. An aoidomachia. Wow. So are there any words that end in maki that are like more common words, though? No, absolutely not. Oh, Legomachia okay. <laughs> is probably one of the most... Actually, there are like gigantomachia. Or giganto. Gigantomachia. It's, it is the name that we call the battle of the like titans i think or the giants in greek mythology a lot of oh. greek mythology like events have like the name that ends in maki right um, and those and those words can also be used as nouns separately just because of how the word is created like metaphorically yeah well either referring to that event or just the i mean it was named that way because because of the literal meaning of the word. So right. you could use that word just for the literal meaning of it, you know? Right. And one of my favorites that I found was Batrachomyomachia. Yeah. Which is from Batrachos for frog and moose for mouse. And it <gasps> is a battle between frogs and mice. Amazing. Which <laughs> comes from a comic epic called Batrachomyomachia that was a parody of the Iliad in which <gasps> frogs and mice battled each other. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the word came to mean just a petty quarrel. Sure. Kyle, you should write an opera that is like an epic war between frogs and frogs mice. Frogs and mice. I will adapt. That is... Batrachomyomachia. Rife for for <laughs> material there. Isn't it? Wow. Amazing. So, it really is amazing. 
There are also four other board games that end in Maki or Machia. <laughs> that makes um, sense. They're all, a lot of them stem from ancient Greek or, or ancient Greek-like, but we yeah. won't get into those. But I do want to play a little game with you now that we've got negative 30 minutes left. Yeah, absolutely. So this game's called War of Words of War. War of Words of War. Mm-hmm. So, following the naming convention of words that end in Maki, as uh-huh. we were discussing, yeah, can you discover the meaning of these words that I made up? Oh, good, 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 good. I'm excited. <laughs> you ready for I this? I hope I can. Some of them you can, definitely. Sure. So, the first one is Amerigo Revolvo Maki. Amerigo Revolvo is a duel with pistols that happens in America. I think grander. Uh, uh, specifically, the duel between Hamilton and Burr. <laughs> Even grander. Uh, is there anything grander? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. You're right. You got uh, the point. I don't know. I give up, Kyle. What does it mean? What does this word you made up mean? It is the American Revolution. Oh, the War of American Revolt. Amerigo Revolvo Maki. From revolvo meaning to roll back in Greek. They didn't have a word for revolt. It no. meant roll back or revolve. Got it. That's my best approximation. Got it. Close enough. Okay, how's about this one? Nea Papuramaki. Can you spell the Nea part? Yeah, N-E-A. N-E-A. That's what I thought, but that doesn't help. N-E-A-P-A-P-U-R-O, Maki. Oh, that is a battle between two potpourri makers, and <laughs> one of them is is like a new style of potpourri, and that's the Nea. It's it's a no. revolutionary potpourri-making style. That's, I mean, that is something that probably exists, but that's not what this <laughs> word is. What does it mean? So I took papuros from the Greek meaning the plant papyrus, and Nea oh. for news. It's a battle over newspapers, much like ah. the Newsies battle in the late 1800s. That's right. <laughs> what about Hudroplomaki? Hudroplomaki. Spell that one for me. H-U-D-R-O-P-L-O-Maki. Hudro. I can't even... Th- is it like hydro? Is it like water? Yes, it is like water. Yeah, It means Hudor. It comes from Hudor for water. Okay. I still don't know the answer. <laughs> You're not going to get it. So Oplo is ancient Greek for gun. So it's a, a water gun oh, fight. Oh, a water gun fight. That's H- cute. Hudroplomaki. <laughs> Emily, what do you think a Mario Symposiumaki is? <laughs> is that is that just Smash Brothers? Close. <laughs> Symposia. It comes, it, the, the ancient Greek word is symposion. Is that like like a symposium, like a like a discussion, like a yeah, but more in a in a more metaphorical term of a gathering. Oh, I don't know. So a symposium means party in ancient. Oh, Greek. it's Mario party. It's a Mario party contest. Yeah, <laughs> I was close. I said Smash Brothers. This one's a hard one. Oh, Fantasia tabula rotula dramamaki. So Fantasia that means like like fantasy or dream. Mm-hmm. And you said tabula next? Tabula rotula. Tabula rotula. So tabula rasa is blank slate. Uh, and then the ending was what? Dramamaki. Drama-maki. Drama, like like a play. 
Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, all I can think of is Fantasia 2000. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say that this is something that you do a lot. <gasps> is it D and D? Yeah, it's I, it's a fantasy tabletop role playing game. Amazing. <laughs> Fantasia Tabula Rotula Dramamaki. Amazing. That's what I'm going to call D&D from now on. You should. And yeah. I think, actually, you could probably get it to catch on. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Or could we could we acronymize it like, like D&D is? Yeah, so it would be PTRDM. Yeah, you guys yeah. want to get together for some PTRDM? And they're like, oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, but they have to <laughs> say it in ancient Greek. So, like, uh, well, I, can't, I don't know any ancient Greek except for the words <laughs> that we looked up today. So. I would be shocked if you had, Kyle. <laughs> Amazing. And that's Logomachy. Wow. I feel like I learned so much. Too much, maybe. Our, uh, too much about our man Agrippa. That Agrippa. was a, a roller coaster ride. <laughs> a great choice of word, Kyle. This is fascinating. Thank you so much. And I, I feel like I'm going to look up so many things after this. Good. I'm glad. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming to uh, this episode of Butter No Parsnips about uh, Logomachy. It was really fun to talk it about it with a, you guys. It was a wild ride. And we'll see you next time. All right. Drive safe. Drive safe. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Love you all. Love you. Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips, where this month Kyle and Emily talk about the origins of the show and the meaning of its title. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance and we'll We'll be back next week.